This week on the Off the Crossbar podcast. Week 8 saw both Rochester and New York get their first wins in franchise history. Overtime hero Dan McCrae will stop by. Plus we'll go coast to coast with Adam Levy of the Lacrosse Flash and we'll break down week 9. All that more on OTCB. I am an Good lacrosse fans and welcome to another edition of the show here on SoundCloud, the Lacrosse Flash, and Spotify. My name is Teddy Jenner. What's going on? Week 8 in the books. What a wild one it was. Week 9, just 5 games, but we get 3 full days of lacrosse. And then we're on to Vegas. And we'll talk a little bit of news about that in a little bit. Some production information coming your way. But first off, let's get housekeeping done. If you want to get a hold of me here at the show, you can email me, teddy.jenner at gmail.com, or you can find me on Twitter at Off the Crossbar. And let's go back and quickly look at a wild, wild week eight. There were eight games on the schedule, a full slate of games on Saturday, and we happened to see two franchise firsts as New York outlasts Georgia in overtime, 13-12, Dan McRae scoring the overtime winner in transition, and then the Rochester Nighthawks. They get their first win with a dramatic 13-12 win over the Calgary Roughnecks. Now, this weekend, we have no more teams looking for their first wins. We do happen to have two teams trying to stay undefeated. Will Halifax and New England be able to uphold those clean records? We'll talk about that a little bit later. But quickly back to week eight. It started Friday night in Vancouver, a defensive showdown between Eric Penny and Dylan Ward. Uh, Probably one of the lowest scoring games in NLL history. I believe Graham Perrow said that seven was the lowest amount of goals for a winning team in NLL history. But Eric Penny and Dylan Ward put on a clinic. Uh, I must say that was probably the best defensive game I've seen from the Vancouver Warriors in a few years as they did not allow Colorado anywhere near the front of the net. They didn't allow them second or third chance opportunities. And Eric Penny did a wonderful job controlling his rebounds and not giving up the easy goals. And I think because of that performance... Dan Richardson, general manager of the Warriors, has felt that Eric Penny is their guy. And since he is their guy, there's no need to have Aaron Bold around anymore. And shocking news came from the National Lacrosse League the other day that Aaron Bold had been outright released by the Warriors. And the former Champions Cup goaltender is now without a job and it will be interesting to see if any teams pick him up 
Maybe not right now, but maybe in a few weeks down the road, if injuries happen, once we get towards the trade deadline, we might see Aaron Bold back in the National Lacrosse League this weekend. I know he's going to be motivated to get back, but I also know there are a lot of things off the floor in Aaron Bold's life that have to keep his attention. Obviously, running a gym is huge. Dealing with the health issues of Michelle, his wife, has to take a lot of toll on the mind and the body. So there's a lot going on in Aaron Bold's world that not having to travel every weekend probably will help. But I know Boldy wants to be out there competing. He's one of the fiercest competitors I've ever met. So it wouldn't surprise me if he's back in the NLL sometime soon. So Colorado finishes that game in Vancouver. Uh, Pat Coyle goes on record saying it's the most embarrassing, one of the most embarrassing performances he's seen from his club. Everybody should be embarrassed. It was disgusting. It was not a good performance. Really, the only guy that played well was Dylan Ward. Actually, the defense of Colorado played quite well. It was the offense that just was non-existent. And Pat used the word embarrassing quite a few times. And so they go to Saskatchewan the next night, and they're quickly down 3 nothing. And as I watch that game, I'm thinking, oh, crap, here we go again. But the TV timeout happened. And as Pat Coyle has been known to do over the past few weeks, when his team kind of has a slow start, he's able to rally them after that first timeout and get them back on page. And after that first timeout, they, would, they were down 3 nothing. They would go on to outscore Saskatchewan 12-3 the rest of the way for a shocking victory over the rush in front of 12,500 people. If Saskatchewan can't find three more goals over the last three quarters against Colorado, that's tough for those fans to swallow. But for Colorado to be able to find that performance off of short sleep, on a back-to-back, having to travel. That is a phenomenal bounce back for that club. And now they go back home where they'll face the Buffalo Bandits, a team that's also playing some incredible lacrosse. That was a must-win for the Colorado Mammoth. And big shout-out to my guy, Chris Wardle. Had a five-spot on the night. Hashtag good Victoria boy. They need those types of efforts from their offense night in and night out. And you could see the difference in how they played. If you go back and watch the offensive sets from the Friday night game against Vancouver to the offensive sets from the Saturday night game in Saskatchewan, just watch how they move differently. They're not perimeter. They're not scared to get to the middle. They're fighting for loose balls. And they're getting multiple possessions. And that wasn't there Friday night. That wasn't the case. Which is weird because I would say that Saskatchewan has the bigger physical, tougher to play against defense than Vancouver. And yet the Mammoth made that Vancouver defense look like world beaters. So it's a weird anomaly in our league that sometimes you can have an absolute crapper of a game one night and then less than 24 hours later look like a completely different team and Colorado needs to find a way to find the team from Friday night 
the team from the opening quarter in Halifax. They need to avoid being the team from Friday night. And it's not that easy to do. It's not like it's a switch you can flip. So a very impressive bounce back for the Colorado Mammoth after a very disappointing game in Vancouver on Friday night. Other games Saturday, we're going to talk New York and Georgia in a little bit. Uh, That Buffalo-Toronto game was an absolute beauty. Those two teams always play incredible games together. I'm excited to see Buffalo in Colorado this weekend. I get to see my good buddy John Gertler. We get to reunite and have some chats about the game of lacrosse. That is going to be a battle. Matt Vince and Dylan Ward going toe-to-toe. Goals will be at a premium. But Buffalo is playing some very good lacrosse right now. They are winners of back-to-back games. They've only still only played four games, but they are a team that people should be worried about. And they really look like the team to beat, other than Halifax, in that Northern Division. I want to save Philadelphia New England for, for last before we get to New York and Georgia. So Rochester beats Calgary 13-12. They actually came back in that game, and that is a huge confidence builder for that Rochester club. Craig Wendy getting his first National Lacrosse League victory. That's a tough loss for Calgary as they continue to slide. They've now lost two in a row. They're two and three. And without Dutchie, sorry, without Jesse King, without Dane Doby for a couple more weeks, this offense is struggling. But I think if they can keep themselves in the hunt, and once they get Dane Doby back, then that offense can really start to click and get going. But until that happens, they're still going to struggle. And they've got Halifax coming into the barn this weekend. However, I think at home they're going to be okay. They need to find something. They need to find a little bit of moxie, that group, and pull out a gutty win at home. San Diego at Halifax, I thought that was a fantastic lacrosse game. It had physicality, it had intensity, it had great goals. Uh, Another fantastic crowd in Halifax, just over 7,000. They are the number one team in the National Lacrosse League at 5-0. Who would have thought it? Nobody. But this team is playing out of their minds right now. Warren Hill is looking like an early MVP candidate. And they're getting great plays by everybody. And they're having a phenomenal start in Halifax. Philadelphia Rochester on Sunday. Funday, man, what a wild and crazy game. Uh, Philadelphia really in control for most of it. Another great crowd in Philadelphia, 7,000. They saw some old school National Lacrosse League action. And it was... A great game. It was intense. It was the rivalries of old Philly-Rochester from back in the early 2000s, even the late 90s, when these two teams were at their peaks. Now, I know a lot of people didn't really like some of the endgame antics from some of the Rochester players. That's the game of lacrosse. I'm going to dissect Philadelphia game. I'm going to dissect a little bit of the Halifax game and a little bit of the New England game um, in a little bit. But we got to get to Dan McRae. 
We got to get to that impressive 13-12 win over the Georgia Swarm by the New York Riptide. And if you had Georgia Swarm, losers of three straight going into week nine, you should be putting a lot of money down in Vegas. This is not anything that we've seen from Georgia in years. They don't lose three in a row. And yet, here we are. And for them, they get a chance to end this streak as they'll go into New England. And I think they have a pretty good chance in that game. But something's just not clicking for the Georgia Swarm. And you have to give full credit to Reggie Thorpe, Captain Dan McRae, and that entire group for continuing to battle week in and week out. If you go back and look at their first game where they got absolutely trounced by Halifax, they get absolutely run over by Saskatchewan a few weeks later, they looked in those games like expansion teams. But in some of their other games, they've looked like teams that can really pull it out. And it's like teams that are go- like a team that is going to be w- able to win some games. They came back again in the fourth quarter. And somehow they managed to force overtime where it was back and forth in that overtime frame. Mike Poulin was making great saves. Alex Bouquet was making great saves as it was all leading up to our first guest of the week, Dan McRae, to become the overtime hero as the Riptide get their first win in franchise history. Miles Thompson thought about a rip. Jennings side again. It goes off the pipe. Bouquet was there yet again. Suter collides. Chance the opposite way. Here's the captain, Dan McRae. 1v1. McRae, bulldozer his way. Shoots. He scores! The captain, Dan McRae, lifts New York to the first win in franchise history. 13-12 over the Georgia Swarm. sounds you just heard were the final moments of a thrilling game in New York as Dan McCray, the captain of the Riptide, gives his team their first win in franchise history with the overtime winner, and he joins us on the show now. Danny Max, how are you, my friend? Doing well, thanks for having me. Uh, thanks for giving us the time. Um, how fun was that moment, and did you have any idea where you were shooting? <laughs> uh First question, no. Second question, very exciting. Yeah, um, it was uh, it was a big culmination, obviously, of, of a lot of hard work and preparation, and you know, just coming together as a group. Um, that's been happening, you know, since I started training camp. So, I've uh, you know, I was just happy for for the group of guys. Some of the guys that you know got their first win of the of the year. Happy for the ownership group, you know, that have invested so much uh, into the team and uh, and pumped up for on all the coaches, but. It's uh, it's always nice to get a win and in thrilling fashion, uh, you know, made it a little bit extra. This group has has come a long way since that opening game against Halifax, where you guys were outscored twelve four, and you really like an expansion team. Now that we're in week eight, week nine coming up, how has this team progressed, and how impressed have you been with this group improving along as the season's gone? 
Yeah, it's been uh, it's been great to kind of watch the different dynamics and uh, personalities in the room, like you said, come together. And and the coaching staff have been so adaptable um, and just figuring out what works for you know each guy and then each you know each unit uh, and as a team. Like um, you can go in there with an idea thinking this is the way that uh, you know everything's gonna gonna go and this is gonna work, and then you kind of gotta adapt if it doesn't. Uh, like in the Halifax game that you just mentioned, so. Um, we've been not, just having to have kind of open minds uh, as players, as coaches, um, and then just be willing to, you know, try try different things and uh, and I guess just keep working harder. So we've progressed, you know, from how we prepare week in and week out. We've progressed how we prepare and hold each other accountable uh, as players daily. Um, and then I think you're, we were starting to see the body of work improve so much uh, in the last coming weeks, we thought we had a really good game against Philadelphia. There, putting ourselves in a position to, you know, to possibly win that game. So, um, the bitter, the bitterness was definitely in the mouth for the last few weeks. You know, a couple lopsided affairs in there too. So, um, but we felt like we were starting to make strides in the right direction. Um, and then it was fantastic, you know, to bring bring the first uh, franchise win uh, on home turf there this weekend. Let's talk about uh, the front door guys for a bit. You know, Tyler Digby's been around this league for a while. He understands the in and outs of the game, and, and he's a great guy to be sort of a front door leader for you guys. But on the other side is Tyson Gibson, a brand-new rookie in the league who is still getting his feet wet but is showing everybody how talented he is. What's the sort of the, the paradox and dichotomy between uh, an experienced guy and a brand-new rookie working together? Yeah, Diggers, Diggers, fantastic. Um, I think any you talk to anybody that's ever played with him, he'll tell you that guy will run through a wall for you, uh, and he wears his heart on his sleeve. So um, I got to play with with Digger in Calgary there, obviously for a bit before um, I had to DM up a few times uh, previously in the league as well, which is never any fun. So um, he's been a fantastic kind of just a calming presence out there. You know, he's he's able to just kind of conduct what's going on uh, on the floor offensively and as that little level of patience um, to, to the offensive group. Uh, because like you said, you got Tyson Gibson up there, uh, you know, Travis Longbow, two rookies that are playing mm-hmm. on that right side. Uh, and then we got, got another rookie, you know, on the left side with Gail and, uh, and Dan Lomas. So Lomas is, uh, you know, it's been a treat to watch there too, but he's a guy that's been looking for a home in this league and the chance to prove himself. So, uh, Digger's been been great with that group, uh, stepping in and like I said, calming presence and uh, and showing them the way. You've been around this league for for quite some time. Obviously, you spent your whole career with Calgary. The expansion draft happens right after you guys win the championship. Um, you, you're you're a UFA. You're unprotected. You don't really know your future of what's going to happen. When did the decision come about to? to go to New York and, and how are those early conversations with red when, when the talks were early going? Uh, yeah. I mean, when the protected player list, uh, came out, um, you know, I kind of sort of, uh, figured that's what was going to happen, right. Being a UFA, like you said, um, you know, doesn't make maybe the most business sense for Calgary to, to protect a player, uh, at my, uh, point in my career. So, yeah, Reggie reached out um, after those lists came out and, you know, asked about the option uh, of going to New York. And, you know, being in – living in the East here, I work in the East, um, you know, girl, live with a girlfriend, got a dog here. So it's 
it was always, you know, in the back of my mind, like, hey, at some point in the career, you know, maybe it would be nice to, you know, have a little bit of a shorter travel. So uh, Reggie kind of planted the seed there and uh, just got to know him over a couple of conversations. And um, he's a fantastic guy. So um, the opportunity has presented itself. It's, uh, you know, I, I kind of, you know, talked talked about it with a close circle of, uh, you know, people I trust and respect, a lot of talks with the family. Um and just thought it was, uh, you know, it was just the right time uh, for myself to to take on a new challenge, and uh, and it's 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 definitely been a challenge. But you know, getting getting the first win there this past weekend, it's uh, it's been fulfilling, and uh, and it's been a great group to be a part of. Did you check in with your personal advisor Jim Else before you made the decision? <laughs> yeah, Jimmy was definitely uh, firing some text messages. We were we were in communication for sure. Um, so yeah, no, I always like to keep Jimmy up to date with what's going on. Uh, he's, uh, he's obviously a close friend and, uh, and, you know, one of my, my biggest supporters. So always got to keep Jimmy in the loop. You've talked about Reggie Thorpe a bit. I played with Reg my first two years in the league. He is one of the best human beings I've ever met, but he was a ruthless competitor. Now you go, you know, from Kurt Miloski, who is at one end of the spectrum of coaches to, to Reggie Thorpe. What's the, the difference between their two coaching styles and how has it been adjusting? Yeah, they're both obviously uh, great people. And, and uh, you, you said Kurt Miloski, that's a guy that I think has kind of opened up my, my world, my mind um, into the game of lacrosse. Um, not only from the X's and O's standpoint, which, you know, he's, he's definitely been the smartest lacrosse line I've ever been around, uh, but his, his fierceness and his competitiveness is, I think, is also second to none. Um, so yeah, Reggie, Reggie's, you know, everybody you talk to, just like you said, you played with him. He's mm-hmm. like one of the fiercest competitors. And that definitely comes through from the, you know, the first pregame talk that, uh, that he gets. So it's easy to, uh, to get motivated when, uh, when Reggie's talking, uh, like you said, he was a defensive guy, kind of just a blue collar, right? Like big work ethic guy. And, uh, those are some of the, you know, the pillars that, uh, he's been preaching since, since the get go. And, um, you know, he's, he obviously has some builds good relationships with his players. So, bit of a, I don't know, you will label it as a, as a player's coach, but he's a, he's an easy guy to you want to go out there and work hard for uh, night in and night out. So I've been I've been definitely very fortunate with the the two coaches that I've been able to have in my career so far. Coming off that big win for you guys, you get right back at it. A huge doubleheader with Georgia and Philadelphia. Or sorry, Georgia. Or sorry, Philadelphia and San Diego back to back Friday, Saturday. How do you prepare for, for a weekend like that? Obviously, you focus on the first game first, but knowing that that second game is right around the corner, what's the mindset going into a big weekend for your club? Yeah, just taking it one step at a time. Like you said, I'm going to hit you with all the sports cliches, so we're just focusing on Philadelphia right now. So um, I brought up earlier that, you know, we, we thought we had a you know a, one of our best uh, efforts before this past weekend against Philadelphia uh, when we played them at home. So, uh, we got some good tape to watch on them. They obviously had uh, two games this past weekend as well, so um, got a lot to learn uh, tendencies. Uh, but I think the big thing for coming up for back-to-back, especially after playing three weekends, just taking care of the bumps and bruises, um, you know, and just getting ready to you know to play one and then take the bus ride and get yourself prepared and ready to play the next one. But can't look too far ahead, obviously, into San Diego. Uh, they're a talented team that you know. Hasn't been finding the wins here or there, but uh, they got a lot of big threats on that team as well. So not that we're taking them lightly, but definitely the focus has to be on Philadelphia first and foremost. 
you said the bus. I was going to ask you, you guys taking the train or a bus from Philly to New York? That's a pretty short commute. I think we're taking the bus, as far as I know. We did the bus from uh, New England uh, to New York from the first uh, back-to-back. So, uh, yeah, we'll be getting to know each other, getting cozy on the bus. <laughs> are you guys a, a card bus team, or are you guys uh, movies? What's the what's the routine? Yeah, there's there's some movies. There's one game of cards. It's uh, the card games are definitely getting smaller. I think as the years go on. Remember my first couple of years in the league, guys were betting on anything. You know, you get your your sharps, your thirty one, flipping bills or whatever whatever they're doing, betting on what bag comes out of the carousel first at the airport. But um, there's there's a couple card games going on. The Orange Boy suits usually gets one fired up. Digby's getting in on those. So the couple of the veterans are leading the way and trying to talk in the young guys to put their money down too. So still kicking around. Um, you, you're at home in the Burnaby Oakville area. Obviously, during the summertime, you do some coaching uh, in the junior ranks. How have you enjoyed getting your feet wet in that endeavors? I love it. Yeah, it's uh, it's a passion of mine. You know that I kind of uh, you know get, got into, but it was something that you know was instilled upon me from uh, from my first lacrosse coach, uh, gentleman by the name of Rob McDougall. You know. He's, he opened up and introduced me to the sport of lacrosse, opened up so many doors for me in my life. And it was just one of the things he said, you know, this game can give you a lot of things in life. Um, he said, you know, if it does, make sure you're giving back. So that's kind of what I got it going. And then um, coaching in Calgary and jumped into it here in Burlington, it was, uh, where I played my junior A ball growing up. So it's great to be able to come back and coach the team that I played for. Um, and the group of guys uh, that we have year in and year out uh, have been great. So we've been steadily uh, getting better. Uh, over the last three years uh, that I've been there, uh, we lost a you know, tight series to Orangeville in the Ontario Finals this year. Uh, it was the first time Burlington's ever been to that point, um, to the Ontario Finals in the history of their program. So um, we got a good core of guys coming back. We lost a lot of veterans, a lot of guys that you'll be seeing in the NL draft um, the next couple of years here. Uh, and we make a big impact in their own respect. Um, but, uh, yeah, my little brother is playing on the team as well. Luke Pilcher, um, he's going to be a fourth-year lefty old guy who's really coming into his own. So proud to see what uh, the type of player that he's become and proud to see uh, where the Burlington Chiefs program is, uh, is is going. We're starting to see more Burlington guys coming into the league. We're also starting to see more and more RIT guys coming into the league. How proud of you are all the Tigers um, that are playing in the National Classic these days? Because there are quite a few. Yeah, I know you guys got a few of the good ones over there in Colorado too. So uh, I think anybody that uh, you talk to that uh, you know I hang around, they'll they'll tell you that uh, I'm never shy to pump up the Tigers program. Usually wearing you know a piece of apparel, t-shirt or hoodie or whatever it is. So um, it's fantastic. My I brought up my my brother there, Luke, that plays uh, with us in Burlington. He he's actually his first year in RIT this year. So. Um, the family pipeline continues there. It's uh, given me another reason, you know, to uh, to follow um, the, the RIT program for, you know, the next few years. I'll be driving down to a couple of games, I'm sure, in Rochester once their season gets going. But um, it's a great program. It did a lot for me, uh, you know, in my life, you know, academically, professionally, uh, and in sports and athletics. So um, fortunate enough to go there. And uh, they got some great coaches. They're going to be a good team. I think they got ranked fifth in uh, the preseason polls I saw this year. So they're still looking to get the monkey off their back, so to speak, and win their first national championship. And uh, this might be the year that they do it. One last thing for you before we let you go. Obviously, being a brand-new franchise in New York, it's going to take time for 
for the fans to come back to the pro indoor game. What's it like been interacting with those fans now that pro lacrosse is back on the island? It's been great. They're, uh, they're passionate they're, and they're knowledgeable. I think they're the two biggest things. Um, our ownership group uh, actually got us into one of the Islanders games on our first training camp weekend um, in that, at the Coliseum, and that was an eye-opening experience, um, just being around that many Long Islanders, New Yorkers, <laughs> or however you want to classify them. Yeah. Very passionate people. Um, they could tell that we weren't from around there. I guess we did, we stuck out a little bit in the groups that we were sitting in. They could tell that we weren't Islanders fans, but it's great getting to talk to them. Um, the indoor games, obviously, you know, getting to come back to that area, it's, it's, it's cause for a big movement in some of the youth programs and our younger players that are living in the area. Uh, Tyson Bomberry and Connor Kelly are, are getting out there and, and coaching some of the kids in those communities. But, uh, they've been hungry uh, for team, and they've been hungry for a successful team. So uh, it's not going to happen overnight. I think a lot of them get that, but uh, but they definitely want to hold you accountable and ask you what's going on after the game. So I appreciate uh, you know how hungry they are for for a winning lacrosse team to come back there, and it's been great so far. That's Dan McCray, captain of the New York Riptide, the overtime hero who admits he had no idea where he was shooting, but sometimes that's the best time to shoot. And for a defender, in that position, I don't think Mike Poulin really thought he was going to pull up and take that shot. But again, a lot of times that's the best time to take that shot is when the goaltender's not expecting you to. As Dan McRae and the Riptide get win number one in franchise history. Let's hope that that win kind of sparks some attention and some hype on Long Island and get some fans out to the arena because it's listed in that game as just over 2,300 in attendance. That is not good. Again, I know it's early days for this franchise. I know they hadn't won yet. I know the Isles had played uh, the night or that day before. So there's other things going on, but there is a massive lacrosse community on the island, and those people need to start coming out to support this organization. But again, wins will bring out the fans. Just look at what's happening in Philadelphia. Sure, it's not the 13,000, 14,000 of the mid-90s, early 2000s wings, but those crowds that are returning to watch the Wings games are diehards, are newbies, are in-and-outers, but they are rabid Wings fans that are now completely sold. And if you listened two weeks ago, we talked about how important the next game for the Wings was going to be because they needed to build off the momentum of LaxCon and all those teams that were in town for the game against Vancouver. It's great to see a lot of those fans come back. It's great to see the Wings win at home again. And in impressive fashion, there was nearing a few line brawls. Like, it was old school Wings lacrosse. And that is great for Philadelphia lacrosse because that'll continue to bring those fans back to the arenas. So, for New York, I hope that this win 
can start to get some of those fans back. And for the Riptide, they got to continue to build off that momentum. And they have a huge doubleheader this weekend as we talked with the captain, Danny Mack. They're in Philadelphia Friday night. And then we'll have to head back home to take on San Diego the next day. So not exactly the toughest commute back and forth. I'm sure they'll probably hop on a bus right after the game in Philadelphia to get to New York. It's, I don't know, maybe an hour and a half drive. But this is a very crucial weekend for the Riptide if they can get some fans out and keep this winning momentum going forward. Wins are huge. We all know that. But wins are most important for the teams that are struggling to get fans in the gate or through the gate in the arena. So as for the melee and and chaos that happened in that game, I was, maybe it's the Canadian in me in understanding situations. And having talked to um, a couple officials and having talked to Brian Lemon, I understand that the game was officiated properly in the course of what actions were taken. Now, for me, and this is, again, the Canadian in me, and knowing Sean Evans' actions and some of the things that he does and how he does them and when he does them, when he grabbed Steph Charbonneau and tried to fight him uh, about midway through that fourth quarter and they gave him a double minor, the Canadian ideology of lacrosse in that moment would have given Sean... Like five in a game. Gotten him out of the game because you knew what he was trying to do and understood that that moment was a boiling point for the rest of the game. And as I have been told, you can't give a guy five in a game if he doesn't actually warrant it. And so in those cases, Sean Evans never really fought Steph Charbonneau. They never squared off. He didn't deserve five in a game. So giving him the double minor was in fact, the right ruling. So as that game continued to progress and the intensity continued to ramp up, I felt that that game was going to go the way that it did in a little bit of lunacy. But from a league standpoint, they're happy with how it was officiated, happy with how the, the referees dealt with all of it, And I'm okay with that. Again, I think that to avoid some of that, you could have ejected Sean Evans from the game, but you can't toss a guy if he hasn't done anything truly wrong. So, in the course of a lacrosse game, especially blowouts, sometimes stuff like that's going to happen. I know a lot of people aren't fans of it, and I know, again... Sean Evans has been doing this for much of his career. That's the style of lacrosse that he plays. He never truly crossed the line. He tried to, but you can't penalize a guy for trying. So for those of you that are upset about how that game unfolded, I get it. I can understand. It's not exactly how the league wants to be portrayed. But it never really boiled over. It got to a near moment of it. And when Sean Evans and Paul Dawson were on the floor at the same time, I kind of felt something was coming. But again, 
it never truly boiled over. And it never really got out of hand. So kudos to Todd LeBranch and his crew for keeping that game under wraps and for officiating it by the rule as they should. Now, let's go to the Halifax game and that hit by Scott Campbell on Casey Jackson. Now, if you remember a couple years ago, this is a hit very similar to the one Greg Harnett put on Jeremy Noble in Colorado that ended up seeing Greg Harnett get a suspension. Let's put it in the simplest terms as possible and go back and look at that Scott Campbell hit on Jackson. Shot goes wide. Jackson collects it off the corner boards. And as he's turning, Scott Campbell is coming full steam and hits him right in the chest and sends him flying into the boards. Now, there are two notes for this hit, and they're exactly the same as the Greg Harnett hit. If those hits happen in open floor, they are 100% a clean hit. But because they happen near the boards in a dangerous area, and the hit causes Casey Jackson to go, quote, violently into the boards, unquote, it is going to be ruled, and most likely after the fact ruled, a boarding major, or at least a boarding minor, because he goes violently into the boards. It was not a dirty hit in the act of the hit. It's the progress of the hit launching Jackson into the boards that the league will take issue with. Does that all make sense? If that hit happens in the middle of the floor, there's no if, ands, or buts that it's a 100% clean hit. In the act of the hit, it is a clean hit. It's the result of the hit that unfortunately sends Casey Jackson into the boards and in a manner that will be deemed violent that will most likely see Scott Campbell have some after-the-fact disciplinary actions. I don't think he's going to get suspended. I think they might give him a major for the hit. And I like the fact that Jeremy Noble and a bunch of the other Westberg was in there came to Casey Jackson's aid and defense. And it was Casey's first game back from being out for the most of the summer and the early part of the season with concussion symptoms. So in that sense, I, I completely agree with everything that happened in that game. The hit was clean. The reaction from the players was just. And the league will rule on it as they deem fit, which I believe will see Campbell get some sort of boarding penalty. I do feel for Casey Jackson because in your first game back to take that kind of hit, it's got to be a little nerve wracking. But I believe he get he eventually got up. He seemed to be okay. But it, it's a clean hit in a dangerous area. And that is why there will be some repercussions at the end of the day. Um, I know people are screaming that it's a legal hit. Again, the hit itself is legal. It's where the hit occurred that will deem it penalty worthy. So that's two out of the three things we need to talk about out of the way. The final one was... The game in New England. 
Philadelphia at the Black Wolves, a fantastic game, one of the games of the weekend. And it goes to overtime, and you knew Callum Crawford was going to play a factor in this overtime and have a chance to win it for the Black Wolves. And every time he got got that ball on the right shooter wing, you knew he was going to try and go to the hoop. And you knew he was going to try to get underneath and dive across. Like, everybody kind of knew what was coming. And when it happens, he plants, he dives, he scores. Good goal. The referees look at each other. One looks like he's going to say no goal. One says it's a goal. So they call it a goal. The den goes wild. But then they have to review it because it's overtime. It's a goal that needs to be reviewed. And this is an issue that I take with league-wide. And I know others do as well. Because if there were multiple camera angles, including an overhead view, then we would cleanly and clearly be able to see that Callum's foot is on the crease. But because we only get to see two angles, and one of the angles the near side official is perfectly placed to block Callum's foot. There's inconclusive evidence, even though we can all without a shadow of a doubt, pretty much guarantee that his foot is on that line due to the angles. We are unable to justly say if he's in the crease or not, thus giving new England the win and handing Philadelphia their first loss in three games and stopping that winning streak. And in the process, infuriating Paul Day to no end. But my issue is, again, across the league, we need to have standardized replay systems and cameras in all of these arenas. It doesn't make sense for us to have instant replay if not all the arenas have the same camera angles. I remember when the Stealth were in Washington, they only had one overhead camera view. They didn't have it at the other end. Or you can go to an arena like Georgia that has like six different options to zoom in on multiple cameras. So... With the news that the National Cross League is going away from NLL Game Day Live, the 10-minute pregame show from all arenas, that is another issue that we're just not on the same page league-wide when it comes to putting the best possible broadcasts out that we can. And as a league, it's holding us back. And I know that that's something that the league is going to look into in the future, I know they're still going to have the odd NLL game day live from a few select events, including in Vegas next weekend. But as a league, we will not move forward until every arena is on the same page and every team is on the same page when it comes to broadcasting, when it comes to camera availability and replays. And until we get to that point, we're going to have cases like we had in New England where 
I'm pretty sure everybody can agree with me that he his foot was on the crease. But because of inconclusive evidence and no proper camera angles, it's like 95% he stepped in the crease and 5% I can't exactly tell you. And it cost Philadelphia a chance to win that game. It snapped their losing streak. It kept New England perfect on the season. And that could be a game down the road that could be a playoff breaker for the Wings. So I don't like it. I I think it's something that obviously needs to change. And hopefully when we get to next year, it will change. But until all teams get on the same page, we're going to continue to have these instances. And it is a huge issue in our league. From showing the proper replays to getting replays up promptly to having proper cameras to having the staff and capabilities to run a proper broadcast. Now, again, I know not all arenas are as high-tech and as well-staffed as others. I get that. But we have to make a solid effort to get there. And hopefully the league is continuing to push teams to get there. Because it is very much needed. To our final guest of the week, Adam Levy. He is a contributor for NLL.com and for the Lacrosse Flash. He is one of the brightest and best up-and-coming writers in our game. He does coast-to-coast work. He shows no allegiances, no alliances other than to his college Adelphi and to the Scouse from Liverpool. But we will not hold that against him because he does do a fantastic job in covering our league. He has weekly articles up on NLL.com and the Lacrosse Flash. He's a beauty, and he joins us here on the show. Adam, what's good, my friend? I'm doing really well, Teddy. How are you? Uh, I'm fantastic. Uh, We're not going to talk Liverpool. We're not going to (laughs) talk Adelphi. We're just going to talk uh, things that make me happy, and that's the National Lacrosse League. Uh, you and I were up in the broadcast or in the press booth for that Vancouver-Colorado game, and you really liked the play of Vancouver as that game went on. You've been really impressed with their offense for most of the year. Their defense really found um, a different level of play on Friday night. And you're on record as thinking that if they put it all together, they could be a wild card team in the West. I am, and we were talking about it, and I know that you weren't happy uh, when we were watching the game because they were facing your mammoths, and they didn't look the way that we were expecting them to. But I think, and I know we've had this discussion in our group chats, and and I went on record with Dave Sheldon yesterday for Warriors Weekly that that team that we saw from the Warriors, that strong defensive effort, that reliable uh, athletic effort from Petty and that uh, that's the team that you need on the back end, as well as Bob Snyder was uh, great at the face-off X, winning the majority of his draws. You know, seven goals isn't going to cut it, but if you can hold teams to five, seven, or nine goals, and then you can scratch out 11 goals, I think that that team is a playoff contender. Now, of course, playing a full 60 minutes every game is always a challenge for any team in this league, and one game isn't enough to say, okay, you know, they're going to do it, but there's potential there. Joel McCready was telling me before that game 
that the team hadn't scratched its potential. And I think that they started to show that what their potential is uh, in this last game. And it gives me hope that they can turn it around. And it's just a hope that we can see them continuing to practice during this bye week that they have now and can string together a few wins in this busy February they have. Yeah, it's it's really unfortunate for them in the fact that they get that win at home against a division rival, and now they have two weeks off before they get back at it again. So how do they hold on to that momentum for a couple of weeks within those practices to make sure that when they get back on the floor, they're not flat and take steps back? Well, yeah, and I spoke to Sam Clare and, and Gilly after the game, and, you know, immediately for them it was like, you know, this was an amazing win, a great team effort, but we can't be satisfied with just this win. So everyone was on the same message and saying, we're going to hit the gym. We're not going to take those days off. This is just the beginning of something new. And, you know, Gilly has mentioned to me the idea of buying in and that locker room is really tight. And I think that they're starting to buy in and knowing that they need wins now. Sure, we're not even halfway through the season, but they know that they're in a dire situation in terms of the playoffs. The West is so competitive and it's only going to get tougher um, as the season goes on. You know, you look at um, teams like the Roughnecks who are going to be getting guys back. Um, it's just going to get really, really tough. And I think that they know that already. So I don't think they need any motivation. I think it's just, you know, mentally uh, and physically prepared. You're a guy that's at those games, their home games, every time that they're in town. And you were mentioning to me that that was the most energy you had seen from a Warriors crowd this year. Obviously, wins are helping with that. Biz Nasty probably had a little bit to do with that. But can they get this city rallied around this team to really help make Rogers Arena a tough place to play? Yeah, I think it was Biz, Beer, and the uh, Beach Night uh, that was really getting the crowd into it. And uh, it was really electric. And, you know, the guys have said since day one in Rogers Arena that they love the atmosphere. They love playing in this city. It's so much different than when they were playing in Langley, the guys that were with that uh, Vancouver Stealth team. And they're so excited to be with this organization. And I think that they, and any team will tell you that feeding off your home crowd is a huge momentum boost for them. So obviously they have three games. I think it is uh, in February at home and then three on the road. It's how do you take that momentum and that energy that you can build in your home barn and bring that to the road. And, you know, I think that as they gel and as they kind of realize what their potential is, they'll continue to do that. Let's talk about a couple other teams that had big home wins. Rochester Nighthawks, New York Red, the two brand-new franchises in our league, both get first wins in franchise history. And I know you're working on an article for NLL.com about those two teams and their wins. But in speaking with some of the guys, what can you kind of relay their feelings were? Yeah, I mean, it was very exciting uh, talking to the players. Uh, I spoke with Holden Katoni today, uh, and I spoke to Dan McRae uh, yesterday. And I know that the Riptide had a special visitor in the locker room beforehand. That's a little bit of a tease for you. Um, but there was a little bit of motivation uh, other than, you know, needing to get that first win for that team. But to hear from both the coaches and the players about how hungry that both of those teams are and also how they're not discouraged. You know, I would imagine for young guys who really want to prove themselves to be on a team that hasn't won yet, you might feel like, oh, the thing's against me. It's just not going my way. And then you kind of give up. But it doesn't sound like that's the mentality of these clubs. They keep fighting. You know, they understand that in the expansion process, 
that it takes time to form championship caliber teams. And I think that they're buying into that. They're buying into reevaluating and determining what it's like to be in a new market like the Riptide are. And it's just it's just going to take time for these two to really get going. But you are seeing progress each and every game. And that's what the coaches are happy about. And I think the players are happy about that as well. Obviously, Rochester had to go right back at it the next night uh, in Philadelphia, and, and things didn't really go their way. But is is this Rochester team a team you can see that's going to make strides as the season goes along? Because they are very well built. Yeah, and I actually, uh, I'm not sure if I if I told you or some of the other guys that I, I was questioning if these Rochester Nighthawks were the next San Diego Seals, if you remember what the Seals did last year, which we all do. Um, the talent is there, you know, sure, they have um, a lot of young pieces um, because of the expansion draft. But um, if you have, I, I was a big guy, and you, you can speak to it as well, a big, deep uh, for Steve Fryer fan, you know, he was an amazing backup goalie for Dylan Ward in Colorado, and I still am waiting for him to, to really blossom here in Rochester. But it's nice to see Craig Wendy doing that. So, uh, you know, I think that they're they're just doing phenomenal as teams and really building slowly. You are a New Yorker at heart and by birth. Um, is this New York team going to find success? Because if you look at the score sheet, they had under 3,000 listed as the attendance. Um, it hasn't exactly taken off right away on the island. What's it going to take? Is it as simple as finding wins, or is there going to – need to be more invested into this group outside of the arena to get fans come to Long Island? Well, I think that when you bring in guys like they just have with Miles Jones, a uh, huge uh, personality, great talent. I remember when I watched him at Duke uh, in the field game in college, and that guy, he's, he's a free athlete. He, uh, I believe, I, I could be wrong, but I believe he also has a football background, um, and he's really built like it. Uh, and he's just a tremendous, tremendous talent. Um, so to bring his personality, you saw a lot of him in the P- PLL this past summer. I think those things help. I think wins help. I think that the two hurdles you have is that while Long Island is a hotbed for lacrosse, um, it's teaching Long Islanders and New Yorkers um, about the boxing because they're so familiar with the field game. But then I also think that there is something in New York called the Bridge Tunnel crowd, which is, you know, people from the city don't really go to Long Island and people from Long Island don't go to the city as often as you might think. And so it's getting people from the five boroughs, you know, to go out to Long Island to make it a good show. And you see how important good production is and, you know, putting on a good entertaining show is like um, the Warriors do at Rogers Arena. So if you can start to do that at Nassau Coliseum and, you know, that area, you know, I think that you can build a a real franchise there that gets really popular because lacrosse is really hot in that part of New York. Let's skip over to the NLL North division. You had a great article on the lacrosse flash about the Buffalo Bandits and, and how they're really looking to take the next step to becoming an elite team in the National Lacrosse League. And they have all the pieces and they're starting to get a lot of their young guns healthy and playing at high level. They're in Colorado this weekend. What do you like about this Buffalo squad coming off a big win versus Toronto? Well, I was uh, tweeting it out this morning as well um, that, you know, about that young offense. And, you know, Josh Byrne, again, 
a Hofstra guy. Um, you know, I, I remember talking to him. We used to go to the same sandwich spot since I'm an Adelphi guy. Um, Cherry Valley. I said Valley we were going to talk about Adelphi, Adam. <laughs> well, I'm I'm just talking about the the sub shop, which you should go to okay. if you're out. In we'll New let it York. go. We'll let it go. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so he's, he's a great talent and he's really showing what he can do. Not that it was any surprise to anyone, the way that Chase Fraser has come back from his ACL tear. I remember seeing him go down during the WLA season and, uh, it was, there was a lot of questions about how he would return and he's come out of the gates flying two hat tricks back to back. Um, and you know, he looks like he's really poised. He's energized. He's really becoming a personality of that team. And then I think Chris Cloutier is one of those guys, you know, they're really benefiting so much from that trade that happened with the wings. Uh, You know, we don't know yet what the wings are really getting out of it. Ryan Wagner is playing a strong part in that defensive end for Philadelphia, but they have a 2021 first rounder because of that trade. So we don't know who wins that trade yet, but right now you got to say it's the bandits because of the way Cloutier is playing out, out of the start of the season. So you've given us a few teases. What else can we expect from your computer screen in the next couple of weeks and days? Uh, well, I'm doing something a little different. Uh, I don't mean to, to rub this in your face, but as as most of the people will find out, I won Who You Got um, from Lax Classified's uh, podcast with Jake Elliott and Evan Schemenauer, and I'm auctioning off my prize pack because uh, – as I work for the league and, and other things, I want to give give back to the people that love this game. So if you go to my Twitter, you can uh, participate in the contest. Just tell me who your favorite player is and why in 280 characters, and you might win uh, an awesome prize pack from Stampy Tech. Um, other than that, I'm, I'm continuing to, to grow this league and this game the best I can, one article uh, or a couple articles a week. Um, I, I love covering the sport of lacrosse. I love covering lacrosse for Lacrosse Flash. Uh, it's such an awesome platform to to have to you know voice my opinions and to to allow myself to you know express the way that I'm thinking and in such a cool unique way. Uh, I know having you as part of the Lacrosse Flash and Tyson Geik and Austin Owens and Patty Gregoire and, and all the people that are behind the scenes. I think that it's it's an amazing platform for lacrosse and I couldn't be happier to be uh, really growing this game uh, in the best way that I can. You can find him on Twitter at Adam Levy sports, L E V I. It's like the jeans, but it's not like the jeans. Um, <laughs> what are you, what, what game are you going to be watching the most this weekend? There, there's five games Friday through Sunday. Uh, what's the one game you're going to keep your eye on? Uh, well, it's going to be interesting for New York. It's their second back-to-back, so obviously there's a rivalry potentially brewing between New York and Philadelphia, so it'll be interesting to see that on Friday night. Um, I'm going to give a little bit of a teaser of my picks, my lacrosse flash picks for this week. I'm going to go with the Riptide to beat the San Diego Seals. I think that they're just riding a lot of momentum now, and as every coach will say, you know, uh, and the statistics will show back-to-back games are, are not really an issue. In fact, players love to play more often. So I don't think that uh, it'll be a real issue because they're playing in Philadelphia and then they play uh, back home in New York. So it's not much of a road trip. Um, it'll be interesting to see how the Roughnecks continue to do without uh, Dobie and without King. Uh, obviously, Reese Dutch is back. Um, but the Thunderbirds look great. I'm so impressed with Warren Hill and Nett. 
Um, and I think that, you know, every single game, obviously the Bandits and the Mammoths, uh, I wouldn't expect any team to get over some goals with Dylan Ward and Matt Vincent that. So uh, there's no game on the schedule this week that won't be a great one. Um, it's going to be hard to top this past week because that was one of the best weeks of NLL action uh, overall that I've seen in a long time. But if uh, if all these uh, maps are, are going to be how you think they're going to be, I think it's going to be another great week of NLL games. That's Adam Levy of the Lacrosse Flash and NLL.com. Find him at Adam Levy Sports on Twitter. And he continues to go coast to coast covering the National Lacrosse League and does a phenomenal job. And you wouldn't tell that he's a guy from downtown New York, a Manhattan guy. Doesn't have a lot of an accent. Very low-key, quiet kind of guy. But ever since he's started covering the National Lacrosse League, he has done a phenomenal job of bringing some great stories to light, creating some news, updating us on ins and outs of various teams, and really proud that he continues to do such a great job and gives us the time here on the Off the Crossbar podcast. Five games in week nine. It is a quiet week when you compare it to last week in the National Lacrosse. We get games on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday again. And we talked about New York at Philadelphia on Friday night, uh, a game between two teams that are playing much better lacrosse. Not sure New York is on Philadelphia's level quite yet, but if Alex Bouquet can make those big saves down the stretch and that offense can find a way inside on Zach Higgins, then I think the Riptide do have a chance, but give me the wings at home. San Diego at New York is the second of New York's back-to-back, and that's never an easy game, but as we saw Colorado do this past weekend, sometimes those second games, teams still have the energy in their legs, and while they shouldn't be as effective as they are, they often tend to be. However, I think the Seals are going to be ready for this one. They haven't been playing their best lacrosse. They're currently sitting at 1-5. and five. They're losers of two straight, bottom of the NLL West. Not where they predicted or expected themselves to be at this point in the season. I think this is a big turnaround game for the Seals. It's another long road trip. They were just in Halifax. They got to come all the way back and then go all the way back out to the East Coast. It's not easy. Takes a lot on the body to do that kind of travel. But I think the Seals are going to pull this one off. I think they'll go into New York. They'll be ready. They'll be hungry. They're not going to let this, the Riptide have any chance in this game. Expect a big one from Frank Shiliano. And I think the Seals go on the road and get a very, very needed, much needed win. Halifax at Calgary. Halifax still undefeated at 4-0. The wing, sorry, the Roughnecks coming off that tough loss in Rochester. They get back home. I think they're going to be playing with much needed energy. Maybe a sense of panic because they got to get back into that race in the West a little bit, create some momentum, not let Saskatchewan and Colorado get too far out in front of them. I like Calgary at home. Expect a bounce-back game from Christian Del Bianco. It's not too often that he gives up that many goals in one contest. I know they're facing the high-powered Thunderbirds offense. 
in that incredible transition game that they boast, but Calgary is phenomenal on the run as well. I really do like Calgary at home this weekend. This could be a game that separates me from Adam Levy and the rest of the lacrosse flash crew in our pickums. Buffalo at Colorado, uh, I'm thoroughly excited to be able to call this game for you on Bleacher Report Live. I think this is going to be one of the games of the week. Matt Vince, Dylan Ward, two of the best at their craft. And two offenses that have been known to put up goals, but offenses that can go quiet at times. I think this is going to be a very defensive battle. Goals are going to be hard to come, but the offense will get it done. Probably a 13-11 kind of game. Colorado wins it at home, and they continue to find momentum in that Western Division. And then the final game of the weekend on Sunday, Georgia at New England. I think this is the weekend that the undefeateds are no more. I really don't expect Georgia to lose four in a row. Hopefully they'll be able to have Ed Como on their bench with them this weekend. And if they can find a way to just forget about the last three games and just focus on what's made them successful, get Lyle going, get Zeddy Ball game going, get a big game from Shane O'Jack, and have Mike Poulin play to the level that we have seen him in the last couple of seasons. If that happens, then I don't think there's really much of a chance for Georgia to lose this game. However, this New England Black Wolves team is playing some fantastic, fantastic lacrosse right now. And Doug Jameson has to be up there in the MVP talks along with Warren Hill because every time he goes out there, he must, he must have a quote that I said about how he's not a starting goaltender in this league and looks at it and just pokes needles in the voodoo doll bottle, doll of me. Because he's making me eat my words every week, and he's been phenomenal, as has Warren Hill. And both those guys have to be up in the MVP talks just because they're playing so incredibly well. And Warren Hill is playing out of his mind. 8.05 goals against and a .843 save percentage. Dougie J, 8.54 goals against, 8.34 save percentage. Those are phenomenal numbers for those two young goaltenders. And I'm thoroughly impressed with what they've been able to do this season. And I'm going to continue to be impressed as they go on the rest of the year. But in saying that, I like Georgia on the road, I like Calgary at home, and the undefeateds will be no more. Thanks to Adam Levy, and thanks to Dan McRae, and as always, thanks to you, our wonderful loyal listener. I hope you get out and enjoy some games this weekend. Five on the schedule. We're going to Vegas next weekend. News from the league is myself, Doug Locker, Devin Caney will have the broadcast for you. I'm so Super duper thoroughly excited. It is going to be an experience of a lifetime. Uh, maybe this is the door that opens the National Cross League to Vegas. I hope there are a lot of fans in attendance. It is Super Bowl weekend, so Vegas should be a wild, wild party in and of itself. When you add 60 lacrosse players, it's just going to send it from a 10 to a 12. 
So hope to see you in Vegas. Hope to see you in Denver this weekend. And again, hopefully you can get out to some lacrosse games in your area. All games live on BR Live. And of course, the game of the week will be free on BR Live, Facebook, and Twitter. Until we speak next week, enjoy the games. Find me on Twitter at Off the Crossbar or email me teddy.jenner at gmail.com. Until then, be excellent to each other. Be excellent to each other.